How good is God? Well, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing our amazing guests this morning. So why don't you put your hands together for our first session with Dr. Ray Andrews. And top of the morning to you. How are we doing, eh? Okay, uh, before we sit down, can we just readjust lights a little? Uh, I, I feel like I'm just talking for space. If, if there's people there, isn't there? Of course. Yeah, I can hear you, but I couldn't see you. Okay, we need the lights down a little on me, I think, and the lights a little up in the house. Could we do that? I don't want to be coming here organizing everything. Uh, and that's not like me. <laughs> but one thing that is important to you know, several years ago, I had, uh, numbers of years ago, I had cataracts in my eye, they told me I had anyway, but I got down and I got them operated on, and, uh, and I came out of there like I had just new vision. I couldn't believe it, it was just incredible. The only problem is, spotlights don't do well on them, when that's the only problem. So it's not about me wanting to just change the system. It, it, it's really about my weakness. And, uh, <laughs> and so, Father, this morning we're so grateful. Yeah. We're so thankful. We're so appreciative. And we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And today, Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way. Yeah. Father, we know that we can say things we know, but you can cause us to say things we don't know. Yeah. And we pray that you will open your word to us. We thank you for this company of people that have gathered on this morning. And we pray that we will leave and we will go knowing that something has been deposited from the Holy Spirit. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Now, you just, uh, today, the first session about, the first session is going to be uh, about abiding. And uh, the second session is going to be about uh, understanding a little more in relationships. Uh, we do that. You know, I don't know if I told you before, but one of the things that's fascinated me, we, we do have a lot of ministry in Fiji. And uh, one of the things that's always fascinated me is, uh, is down there in Suva, there's a guy down there and he plays this old guitar. And, uh, and it's got, uh, you know, it's just normal guitar, all the strings and everything. And he plays and he just plays. No matter what the song he sings, he just plays in the one note. <laughs> he never changes. He doesn't do a thing. It's just all in the one note. So he sings any song, but one note, still one note. And uh, somebody was bold enough to go up to him one day and said, what's with you? And what's wrong with you? And, uh, you know, anybody that's got a string guitar like that, they sing songs, but they go up and down the strings and they change the notes. And they don't sing like you from one note all the time. He said, what's your problem? The guy says, don't you think I know that? He said, you know all those people that go up and down those strings? He said, they're all looking for the note that I have found. (laughs) Do you know this morning, we have found the note that the whole world is looking for. We have really found the note that the whole world is looking for. And praise God this morning that we have found Jesus. Eh? Um, and thank you, Pastor Ben and Amy, and thank you so much this morning for your invitation. I feel always at home here, been here for a lot of years and known you for some long time, and having Pastor Kevin as well, the father in the house now, eh? Yeah. When he comes. I, I just told him this morning when I saw him, I said, 
I said to him this morning when he came I said, I thought you weren't allowed here anymore. <laughs> and he said, I know this is, a, this is a Nicodemus moment. Well, <laughs> so uh, praise God. So thank you. Good to see you, Pastor Kevin. And, and others of you in the ministry here. And praise God for having you here this morning. Amen. Hey, you just listened to what Pastor Ben read this morning. It's almost incomprehensible. It's almost unbelievable. And my little Irish mind has a problem holding on to it. And that is, he says, Jesus said, I love you the way my father loves me. What? Really? Me? But you don't know me. But he does know me. And the, the, the thing that is so significant is that he knew me from the beginning. Yeah. Right from the beginning, he knew me. Yeah. You know, I tell the story sometimes. Uh, we, we, we can put her up here, brother. We're on, aren't we? And I get on here. Uh, you know, people, uh, in a meeting sometimes, people say to me, who are you married to? What she look like? What is she? Who is she? So what I do is I just put, I just put a picture up and say, make your own assessment. That's her. That's my first wife. <laughs> Amen. That's my first wife. And she's hung around for 51 years. So, so she's still about. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. But you know, whenever I met her, when I met her, there, there's all these uh, uh, young guys. We had a big youth group. And a lot of young guys, they were getting their eyes on her. And, uh, and I was feeling like it was time to settle down. And I thought, now, I'm looking for a wife. And I'm looking around, and I like her. She's a bit of all right. <laughs> so I thought, I'll do that. And then one young fella comes to me, uh, one of the young guys comes to me. He says, Ray, he says, um, you're more outgoing than me. He said, I'm pretty shy, as you know. He said, and I really like, her name's Kathy. And he says, I really like Kathy, the pastor's daughter. I said, oh, dear. <laughs> Very interesting. He said, maybe you could put a word in for me. <laughs> that was a disaster for him. <laughs> that message was never going in. I thought at least to have not one bit of competition out. And then, her, as God would have it, her father, <laughs> her father, big, <laughs> I mean, coming to get past him is like going through Fort Knox. And, and I thought, how do I approach this? And as God would have it, he went out of town for nine, for nine weeks. I thought, I've got to hit this chance because when he's gone, I, at least her mum I can wear down. And so, so I thought, I got to go. So I made my move and I went around the back because it's only for the tradesman's entrance. And so I went around the back and there's another, there's another of the young guy. She had long hair down to here. And here's another young guy brushing her hair in the kitchen. I thought, I'll break that brush over your head. You, you just leave her alone. She, yeah, she's not your. I hadn't even asked her yet. But I thought, my sights are set and that's it. All opposition will be dispelled one way or another. Violent. <laughs> violent or otherwise so finally finally I, uh, uh, I I got dating her so I was dating her and then I, I got dating her so anyhow 
you know, the, here's, the, here's the thing, so we're not taking up time this morning about this, but here's what, something about really what we're talking about this morning. She, she picked me. <laughs> Out of all those young guys, she picked me. Hey, it's really good to be picked, isn't it? Special to be picked, yeah? She picked... Well, why wouldn't she? <laughs> In those days, I had lovely black wavy hair until I finally waved goodbye. <laughs> but she picked me. And you know, when, I, when, when we had the... Because the church would all come to the... At least to the ceremony and then it was private into the... Uh, reception and when we were walking down the aisle I'm walking down the aisle and I see the guy sitting there that, that told me to give the message to her and I just go sorry <laughs> slipped my mind and I looked at some of the other young guys and, she didn't pick you she picked me do you know it makes you feel like a million dollars do you know what though my wife took an incredible risk. She never knew what I'd turn out like. She didn't know what I'd look like today, 51 years later. She did not know what that would look like. She didn't know what my physical appearance would look like. She didn't know what I would do. She didn't know whether I'd be serving the Lord still. She didn't know, she didn't know anything. She took a huge risk. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll say the yes here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes you say amen, but this was not the time. <laughs> Just kill my story. Now, <laughs> she took a huge risk because she didn't know what I'd turn out like. But you know, the day that I came out of a very abusive, alcoholic home lifestyle and everything, and, and my way to a soccer match fell in love with Jesus. He intercepted my life. He came completely uninvited, intercepted my life and came to me. And he, out of millions in the world, he picked me. A little farm boy, abused for many years by my father and so abused and came out and he set his love on me. By the time that I was born again as a teenager, I was not a nice guy because of what happened to me and what went on in my life. But he picked me. And you know what's so important this morning? He picked me and he didn't take a risk. My wife took a huge risk. He did not take a risk. He knew every time I'd sin. He knew every time I'd stuff it up. He knew every time I'd get it wrong. He knew every time I'd take a wrong choice. He knew every time something would happen in my life. He knew the end from the beginning. And he still picked me. And he still picked me. Do you know today, one of the biggest things in an intimacy with God, one of the biggest things is people's incredible, faulty belief system of God. Of who God truly is. You know, Pastor Ben read this morning, if you remain in me, what's that even look like? How does that look like? If you remain in me to know my love. Let me tell you something. Perfect love does not demand change. Perfect love does not require change. If I said to my wife, honey, you need to change. And I know nobody here has ever said that to their partner. You've got to change. When I say you have to change, and I say to my wife, you need to change, what am I saying to her? What am I actually saying to her? 
What I'm actually saying is, you need to be more like me. And that's for egotism. Because how do I know that I'm the one that's right here? How do I know that I even got it together? How do I know all that? Do you know perfect love? That's why the Bible says love covers a multitude. (laughs) And the reason it said that is because during 51 years there's a multitude. A multitude. Love covers a multitude of faults. A multitude of sins. Love is the most incredible, dynamic, and one of the greatest change agents in the world. God does not require change. Perfect love does not demand change. We, God does not bring me. Now, this is something significant, and I hope that this is not treading in anybody's toes because I love you all very much, and I hope by the end of the day you love me too. <laughs> but, by, but the important thing is, we do not come into his presence to be changed. Now, one of the things that's important here is that a lot of times we talk about change. We want to change. You need to change. You have to change. You must change. Do you know that in actual fact what I find traveling? People are change hardened. They don't know anymore what that looks like. What, what do you mean when I got to change? Am I going to look nicer? Be a better? What am I going to be like? What, do I look, what does change actually look like? How can I define it in my life if I walk up? Yeah, this morning I'm going to change. Well, I wasn't, why am I changing? Because yesterday I wasn't any good, so today I'm changing. I may be better tomorrow, but then next Sunday I come back in, I have to change again. By the time I've changed, I'm one superman. I mean, I'm good. Perfect love does not, God does not bring me into his presence to change me. God brings me into his presence to love me. And in that environment, I will change as he defines change from glory to glory. That he moves within, that it's a changing. What changes most in his presence? What changes is exactly there. Remain in my love. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that causes us not to remain in his love. And that's the problem. The greater problem is what doesn't allow me to remain. If I can remove what what causes me not to remain, then I know how to remain. And I'll tell you something, that's the problem with legalism. Legalism has the rules on how you can remain in him. But one of the things that will cut you out of remaining in him is legalism. All the rules, all the laws, all the requirements. Love does not demand those. Amen. That's what's important for me to understand it. One of the things that's so significant for me this morning is that he loves me so much. He comes to me where I am. He comes to me in my mess. He comes to me on my stuff up. He comes to me whenever I blow it. He comes to me at the very bottom. People don't feel it. When I was in legalism, because I came out of that, when I was in legalism, because I had six years of beautiful honeymoon in love with Jesus, and then I learned theology. And from there, it all started going downhill. Not because there's something wrong with theology, but how it was interpreted to me certainly was. Because the God, the most important thing is, I so fell in love with Jesus, had such a revelation of Jesus, that I read my Bible and I didn't know I had to read my Bible. I prayed, but I didn't know I had to pray. I did all the time. No, no, I didn't want to fornicate anymore. This, I don't need to do any of this anymore. Why? I don't want anything that complicates my relationship. And I only want to do those things that he puts in my heart. And this is what I want to bring out a little later today. The most significant thing that God does when he comes into our lives, he changes the want. 
He just changes the want. I had that kind of want, and now I have this kind of want. Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit about wanting. And how do I do wanting? The thing is, legally, and one of the other things that stops us remaining is we don't believe that Jesus can come when we blow it. We don't believe his love is still the same when we mess up. We don't believe that he's there in the middle of what's going on in our life. He never, ever changes his love for me. I've listened to some kind of uh, Christian teaching. You know that, oh boy, now we've got our lives changed and turned around and Christ has come and we're transformed. We're children of God. We're so much more. God loves me so much more now. No, he does not. God does not love me any scrap more than any vilest sinner out there. Not one scrap more. All the incredible blessing this morning is that I'm now free to acknowledge how much he loved me all along. Amen. Amen. That's what has changed. But his love doesn't change. We have such a small, uh, pea-sized brain of understanding about what his love is like. Amen. Just remaining in his love is not trying to do anything to gain it. Amen. Just let it come. I did nothing to start this thing. Nothing. And he just loved on me. I wouldn't, I would not, I would not cry after five, I only cried once when I was ten years old, but I would not cry since five years old except that time when my father beat me in the bu- up in the bus. But outside of that, <clears throat> I never cried because I wouldn't let my father see me cry. I wouldn't give him the pleasure. He could beat me as much as he liked, but I wasn't going to give him the pleasure of watching me cry. And so I, would, I became very hardened, of course. But I'll tell you, the day that I was on my way to the soccer match, when the Holy Spirit came, I had a vision of the cross. And I fell in love with Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I realized somebody really loved me. They really loved me. I didn't know nothing more than I just had somebody to love me. He just loved me. Amen. It's so good to be loved. Many times when my wife and I get into some sort of a dispute or an argument, I just look at her and I say, honey, 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 just a moment. I was made for love and not for fighting. I know the Irish fight a lot, but not me. I, I, I'm made for loving. Amen? So, <clears throat> what I just, it just really inspired me. And Pastor Ben's reading that this morning. I thought, you know what? That's one of the greatest problems is about what stops us remaining in that love. That I am just so loved. There's an incredible healing therapy about being loved. It's so beautiful about being loved. And I take that, and I was thinking that this morning, and I only started getting inspired in that thought when you were reading the scripture, because I thought, that's where we're going anyway, John 15. But, but importantly, is that I realized that God had picked me because he just loved me. Not because I was a nice guy, not because I was a good guy, not because of my nationality, not because of my personality. He just loved me because I was one of his creations and he shed his love on me. Amen? And because he shed his love on me, I can live in his love, enjoy his love. And I'll tell you, when we do, we do a God concept with people in our discipleship, and one of the things that's so unbelievable is how warped so many believers have of the concept of God, of who he truly is. Uh, one of the questions at the end of it says, the one thing I'm afraid that God will do. And do you know that the number one thing that people are afraid that God would do, and this was taken 5,000 collected from different denominations and different, and different countries, different cultures. And the last thing that somebody said, there's 14 questions, and the 14th one said this, the one thing I'm afraid that God will do is take one of my children to get my attention. Number two, 
was the one thing I'm afraid that God will do is punish me. Number three, the one thing I'm afraid that God will do is send me to hell. I was in a, I was in a seminar uh, in Queensland and I was doing one and the, we had quite a size of people like this group and so lots of people went down to the, the, the food court and were sitting in the food court and I took all these with me to have a look at them and the pastor is sitting that side and his wife sitting this side and, and uh, <clears throat> I'm looking at them and looking at them and I get to his and I read it and it says, the one thing I'm afraid that God would do is send me to hell. I looked at him and said, you're the pastor for goodness sake. <laughs> He said, you told me to be honest. What kind of food's people getting? What kind of ministry do I do to somebody else? If I think maybe God will send me to hell, that's not making anybody else in the congregation very secure. You know how insecure that would be? Mm. So, we have a... We just have a God who just loves on us and just loves on us and just loves on us. Amen? <clears throat> and there's nothing you can do to stop it coming because yeah. there's nothing you did to start it. Yes. And if you didn't do anything to start it, you can't stop it. Yeah. Amen? <clears throat> we think we can, but we can't because it's always happening. I believe then that doctrine and theology can only ever be understood in the context of relationship. Do you know that at the time of day where I've got to now, in my time of day, I'm no more interested in somebody who wants to pass off some doctrinal issue to me, and I've been through lots of them. <coughs> Do you know that I was doing a, a pastor thing one time, and I sat down to just look at some of the things that I had learned over Pentecostal years, and I was looking at all these... Di- Do you know that I, I actually looked at 18 different fads that has come and gone through the Pentecostal church? Just different fads of all different kind of doctrinal distractions rather than staying centered totally on Jesus. And you know what? He came to us relationally and everything else needs to be understood relationally. And whenever I work with people, when I talk to people, when I work with pastors, when I minister in places, if somebody wants to present something for me and they want to bring it to me in terms of some kind of way out doctor and some kind of situation, some, I just say, hold on a moment. I, I want to know you. I just want to know you. I want to enjoy you because the Jesus that lives in me is the Jesus that lives in you. And I'm going to relate to you. And you know what? If I relate to you first relationally, then regardless of what else that I have with you, then I know that we will be relational. And we will always, because that will be the basis for my relationship. Acceptance does not mean agreement. Just because I accept you does not mean that I agree with your lifestyle, your behavior, your theology, or your doctrine. But what it does mean, I will draw a circle like Jesus did and bring you in. Because you're part of the body of Christ. Amen. That's what it means. So this morning, it's not just what it means, but what it doesn't mean, it's very, very important relationally. We are here today. It's fantastic today to see how many we've got along this morning. Thank you. And thank you for coming today to to listen to me. I don't know if I would only come and listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) But, But how good it is to do that. Staying in relationship. Relationship is part of the incredible glue that holds the body of Christ together. And if we move out of sight and away from relationship, regardless of what that is, into some distraction, we will then find ourselves in discord in the body. Discord in the music team. Discord in the staff. Discord. Relationship. You mean more to me than what you think about a particular scripture. I, 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 I finished a, I, I finished a, uh, um, up in Wongarai, uh, up in uh, North uh, Ireland of New Zealand, 
And I'd finished, and I had oh, an exhaustive weekend at the Central Baptist Church there, really full-on time, and I, <laughs> and I was finishing. And uh, this gentleman comes up right at the end of Sunday night, and, and I'm just ready to get back to the hotel. And he comes up, and he says to me, lovely guy, you know, but I, I could see right away, you know, his approach, that he's going to lie. And of course, the first sentences he says to me, which really always gets me now, at one time it maybe had some influence on my pride, but right now I couldn't care less. But he comes up and he says, now, you're a very learned man. Hmm. Yeah, we, we know somebody's going to land shortly. <clears throat> he said, you travel a lot and you have a lot of revelation. <laughs> oh! He says to me, could you tell me your idea of heaven? After a big weekend. <laughs> well, number one, sir, I've not been there. <laughs> that puts me at a bit of a loss. I mean, if you're discussing a city with me I've been in, I can talk something about it, but if I haven't been there, I don't know a clue. <clears throat> and then, he and then I realize... He wants to quickly hear what I might have to say and then start with this revelation because he starts saying, you know, I have a very good insight. I said, he's ready to tell me his big insight, you know, so I flew. (laughs) And I stood there. I looked at him. I said, now, sir, if what you're going to tell me about heaven is causing me to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. It's going to give me a greater revelation of Jesus. It's going to absolutely bless me, and I'm going to be a far greater intimate, connected father and husband and community worker. And this is going to really do something in revelation. If that's going to happen, I'll stay here to listen to your revelation of heaven. But if it's not going to do that, I want you to drop it into my little basket because I carry my little basket all over the world. It's a so what basket. (laughs) So, sir, if it's not going to do any of that, so what? He says, I never heard anything ever like that before. And he goes to turn away. That little basket has saved me a lot of hours. <laughs> a lot of hours. I carry it all over the world with me. <clears throat> I, your doctor and son's wonder, but so what? So what? And then he turns to go away and I said, oh, hold on a moment. Okay. I said, all right. <clears throat> Sir, here's my revelation of heaven. Since Christ my soul from sin set free, this world has been a heaven to me. Amid our sorrows and its woe, it's heaven, my Jesus, here to know. Oh, hallelujah, yes, tis heaven. Tis heaven to know my sin forgiven. Land or sea, no matter where, where Jesus is, it's heaven there. Sir, I'm already in heaven. Because Jesus is already here. Amen. The kingdom of heaven has come amongst us. Good night and God bless you. Now... That was it. Amen. And I was able to sleep a whole lot better because that little basket has served me well. Amen. No little basket must take me, must take me away, ever away from relationship. First with him. It has to be with him. If I'm not connected to him, I'll never really be connected to you. My connection with you is determined by my connection with him. 
because I might like you or I might not like you. Because there's people that you like. There's some you don't really like. Here's the thing. God doesn't just love me. He likes me. With all my little interests and all the different things that I've got going on me, he just loves me. Amen. See, because right now relationship is what's important. And so when I relationship in you, then I'm flowing where? I'm flowing from the love that he flows into me. And this is not something, oh, I've got to go out and love you now. If you see what Jesus says, and you read it well this morning, if you see what Jesus is saying, he said, if you keep enjoying that kind of love by not letting other things stop it, block it, and change it, if you let that happen, then you will automatically go out and love everybody else. Do you see? It's an automatic flow on. It's not about, because the King James in some way and legalism will always tell you, right now, see, that's it, full stop, and then you go out now and start loving people. It's not like that at all. They, in fact, they know how you, I don't need to educate you on Greek and commas and full stops and so on. All you know is there's no full stop to Jesus. There's no full stops in Jesus. Amen. Not as none in the Greek, but there's no full stops in Jesus because he loves and he loves and he loves. And all I can be at the very best is a channel for his love. Hmm? I had a young bloke in a Baptist seminary up in Kiev in Ukraine. And this, uh, this young fellow, he, oh, he's a beautiful young guy. Him and his wife have worked with him for years in, in Bible school and seminary. And when I've been working with them, <clears throat> one day he's really getting going, you know, and getting going. And talking about what he's doing and what he's accomplishing and how things are going. And him and his wife took me out for lunch and we're talking. And so I just stopped and I said, Sir, I don't like to have to say this to you because you're in a much more educated position than I'm in. I said, but I'm Irish and I'm simple. I said, but I really believe that you're starting to point people to you, how you're becoming Mr. Wonderful. When you get to my age, you can say those things. And I said, I think you're becoming Mr. Wonderful. I said, you do not have a different ministry to mine. He said, why? I said, no, because my ministry, John the Baptist says, I'm not the man. I'm not the man. He's the man. And I said, sir, you're not the man. I'm not the man. Our job is just pointing another to another. We're just pointing another to another. That's simple. It's an easy ministry. Amen. It isn't that hard. And I'm not knocking all kinds of theology, except that I had enough of it until Jesus comes. The fact is, what's, impo- what, what's really important is walking and enjoying relationship. Um, see, now, noting this, we, I need to go over here, but I think I know the thing anyway, because I wrote it down. Okay. We're working from, this is one of the most wonderful things, to rest, to abide, to just recognize, to let it get through our natural mind that always wants to do something. Our natural mind always wants to work. And so now it's very, very important. We work from and not for. So we work from freedom and not for freedom. We work from rest, not for rest. We work from victory, not for victory. We work from deliverance, Not for deliverance. Amen? And there's some scriptures for you theologians. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he did not say to be continued. He said it's finished. He said that's it. That's it. 
And if he said it's finished, then I move into a Jesus plus, which then takes me to heresy. The moment I pull myself back into something else, because the moment I take myself on to be a Jesus plus, I move into a place of fraud. I'm a fraud. If I'm trying to add to anything that Jesus has done, I become a fraud. Because only he has done and accomplished everything. Amen? Do you know, that's the first place to me of abiding, is recognizing that it's always from. Everything in our lives must happen from heaven to earth. The moment I hear something that's generated by earth, I have a problem. Because right in the very beginning, the Bible says, and God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it's already been done in heaven. We're just tuning in to what's already going on up here. What's already happened up here. Amen? That's not the Lord, is it? (laughs) I I know we were saying we're tuning into heaven, brother, but that's fast. (laughs) I know that God may be in the electronics, so uh, if he's bringing you a message, I'm happy to hear it, brother. Otherwise, could you put it in my soul? What basket? Oh, my. See, look at this. Very well, then, with foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to his people, to whom he said, this is my resting place. Let the weary rest. And this is a place of repose. Nice place to be. Hmm? Yeah. Yes. But they wouldn't listen. Really? If we were those people, we would have listened, wouldn't we? Really? <clears throat> So then, here's what happens. This is the problem. What happens then, the word of the Lord becomes do and do. There's where legalism comes. The moment you stop receiving what he's doing. You, you see my glasses. I don't really need my glasses because of the cataract's been taken out. But I, and I use them only for very small print or bad light. But do you know, one time I had glasses before I had glasses. That's Irish, you know that. But I had glasses before, because this lens was due, and this lens was due, and when I put them on, I just had a pair of doo-doo glasses, <laughs> and finished up getting buried under a pile of doo-doo. <laughs> Do you know, those people could not receive, they wouldn't take it in He says, I want you to rest. I want a place of repose for you. This world, we can get weary. And he said, but here's an avenue and an environment in which you can really rest, in which you can really recover, in which your soul can be totally restored, your mind will and emotion. Here's an environment. Who would not want that? Those stupid people. We would never be like that, never be like that. (laughs) Who says who? And they, and they would not. To God, they would not. Yeah, now, I'm telling you something. I knew through my days, and I'm glad that I went through a lot of legalism stuff, because I'll tell you, until I had a metamorphosis of theology and came into a revelation of grace, I was sitting in a meeting one time. Here's how this, this was amazing. I'm sitting in a meeting one time. There's untold thousands of pastors and leaders, a big conference, a big convention thing, and I'm sitting in a meeting, and I was judging because I didn't like what was going on. I didn't understand what was going on because I was too learned, too smart. These people are all wrong, except me. There's something like 11,000 people there. And if you, anybody here ever been in a Rodney Howard Brown meeting? Eh? That, that blows every cobweb from every part of your body because I had no idea what that was doing. The noise, your noise, the noise. 
So I was getting critical and judgmental, and this is not right, and there should be order, and there should be people. How can you do that? Christians don't do that. And I'm sitting, and the noise, if anybody's been one of those meetings, the noise is unbelievable. And right in the middle of the noise, God speaks to me. He said, it's not your place to criticize, and it's not your place to judge. When you can hear that in the middle of 11 or 12,000 people or something, you're hearing God. <laughs> yeah? So then I, here's what I said next. Yeah? Here's my insolence in God. And I said to God, I said, well, you talk to Rodney Howard Brown and tell him to bring some order. There's my word to God. Oh, <laughs> no wonder the Bible says, and God says, he says, who's ever been my counselor? Ray Andrews? <laughs> He's ever been my counselor. He he permits me to counsel people, but he doesn't let me counsel him. And he spoke to me and he said to me this, as clear as anything, he said, return to your days of innocence. When you knew the least, you experienced the most. And I immediately remembered when I fell in love with Jesus, my days of innocence, when I didn't know anything. And at that moment, right in the middle of those people, I totally repented. And I finished up having the greatest experience in that meeting, the greatest experience in the Spirit of God and the move of God. Do you know, just to go back to my days of innocence, when I didn't know that I needed to do, 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 or what was right or what was wrong, all I knew I was in love with Jesus. Amen? And you know, sometimes that's what we need to do. We learn, we get too much up here. We need to have a big heart and a small head. Amen? Please don't see that I'm criticizing theology or the need for education or anything else. I work in those fields. But the fact is, it must never be the priority of our lives. And it must never take away from my centering on Jesus as the person. Amen? And then here, look what it says then. So then, rule on rule, rule on rule. Once you start rules, they just keep going. One guy came up to me. Do I have time for this? One guy comes up to me, and he's he's telling me, he said, uh, we did the seminar. We're doing the seminar. So he comes up. He's one of the ministers there. at a large place, and one of the ministers. And so he comes up to me next morning, comes over and sits with me. This was in Malaysia. And he sits beside me, and he said, you know, he said, I went home last night, sat up most of the night after listening to you yesterday. Yes? I thought he might say, you know, I couldn't get to sleep because the revelation was so great. <laughs> but that was not what he was going to say. <clears throat> he said, and I went home, and I sat up most of the night the Lord's still speaking. <laughs> you need to go back to your days of innocence when there was no telephone. <laughs> and he sat down, he sat down, he sat down beside me and he says, I found 12 things that I still have to do. I said, really? Can I see your list? Yes. He brought his list out. And I said, are you done? (laughs) Are you done? Have you got it all down? Have you got everything down? If you're up most of the night, I have to make sure, before I can answer your little list, I need to know you're done. Are you done? Have you? (laughs) He looks at me and he says, oh, I don't know. He said, there are probably others. I was only up in the night. He said, how would I know if I'm done? I said, do you see, sir, you will have 13, and if I answer them, there'll be 14. 
And if I answer them, there'll be 15. And if I answer them, there'll be 16. There is no end to the rules. There's no end to the legalism. There's no end to somebody telling you something else. Sir, through your glasses, there will be no end. That's why I can't answer your question. That's why I can't do it, because there's no end to rules. The moment you set yourself rules, there will be another one, and another one, and another one. And you know who that does? That stops you remaining in his love. Amen. Do you see that? And what happened to them, they go and fall backwards. See, listen, let me tell you something, a little secret in the Christian life. If you've, anybody here fouled at all, sinned, got it wrong? No. <laughs> I know that Pastor Kevin left a perfect church behind. But, <laughs> but <laughs> anybody here did that? Let me give you a little tip. When you fall, always fall forward. When you fall, always fall forward. Fall into him. Always fall into him. The enemy will bring rules to cause you to fall backwards. That means not remaining, not being with him, not clear with him. You see what I'm saying tonight? Please always know this. We will mess up and we will stuff up. Please remember, just fall forward. And when you fall forward, you fall at the foot of the cross. And you fall at the foot of cleansing. And you fall at the foot of forgiveness. And you fall at his mercy. Amen? Just fall forward. See, that's what happened to them. They fell backwards. And it's not a good idea because you break your neck. But you don't break your neck when you fall forward. And the Bible says, and they fell backwards and they got injured and snared and captured. Bondage to works. Do you see how powerful that is? Mm -hmm. Do and do and do and do and do. And you just finish up on that pile of doo-doo. Hey, here's what we want to be doing. Snuggle up. You can either wrestle or snuggle. You can either wrestle or snuggle. I am a snuggler. <laughs> My wife has to tell maybe that's a bit too personal. My wife has to tell me in bed, move over, you're lying on top of me. Move over. I I like snuggling up. As it she said, it's getting too hot. I said, I knew I'm a hot person. <laughs> I love hugs. I mean, I just about hug anything that moves. But do you know, I could snuggle up to my wife and I love doing that. But here's the thing. I want to snuggle up to God. He says, just snuggle up. Do you know, there's that many people afraid of God. They don't think they can just snuggle up. Well, maybe, I wonder, can I, is it possible? Is it, can I just, not doing some checklist on myself, but just snuggle up. He is my father and I can come to him at any moment and I need to snuggle in. I just want to snuggle in. Amen. Are there, are there any snugglers here at all? There are some temperaments that are not snugglers. And I can tell the moment I give him a hug because it's like an iceberg. <laughs> and I think, all right, you don't have to snuggle me. But if you can learn to snuggle father, that'll be fine. Experiences, experiences closeness to you. God's so real and close. Amen. He's everything to me I thought he was not. In Christ, he canceled every definition of distance or delay. 
Oh, hallelujah. How good is that? This is what the book says. This is not something I've just written. I took it out of the book. The perfect law of liberty reveals how the finished work of Christ removed all your sins from the memory of God. Oh, really? (laughs) That's good. There is no other reference to your innocence. You get that last, there's no other reference. Don't go to an encyclopedia. Don't go to cross-reference books. You don't have to go asking some other opinion. There is no other reference. There is no other reference. The cross is my only reference. He is my only reference. I need it endorsed by somebody else. He's my reference. I go to him this morning as my reference. Amen. Regardless of what's going on, he's my reference. Do you know what? Do you feel and sense in any of this that it's liberating? It's freeing? Yes? Because he whom the Son sets free continues to struggle. Now, we just lightly do this and in, in, in look at this, God's order. And that's why this is very, very essential in seeing this. Now, there's a whole message on its own. Is that clock right? Is that what that, is it 1020? No. That, hmm? Oh, that's how long I've got. Stop! <laughs> it's not very obedient. Okay. Now, this was God's order. God has principles and orders. And this order must never change. We need to have this order. We need to live in this order. And where we find out in in, in the scriptures that we have got up here in in Genesis 26, and this is about Isaac, Abraham did the same, Jacob did the same. This is absolutely vital. The Bible says that no matter where they went, the Bible says that they built an altar. Do you know in our lives, we have to get the order right. We must have the order right. We have to have the order right, spending time to build the altar. You know, the Bible says that when Abraham first came out, and as he journeyed, he journeyed through Shechem. Do you know that Shechem was the seat of Palestine, and it was the seat of demonic influence? You know, one thing that really amazes me today is how many people are chasing the devil. How many people are fighting the devil? Well, that's why I believe this morning I would rather snuggle than wrestle. And they're fighting the devil. However... Abraham comes and he pitches a tent in the middle of Palestine. He pitches a tent in the middle of demonic forces. He pitches a tent in the worst place. Oh boy, the place we live in is so hard. Such demonic activity. Hey, the scripture is so clear. He built an altar in any environment, in any situation, under any conditions, you can build an altar. Wherever we are, we build the altar. The altar is worship. The altar is intimacy. The altar is time with God. The altar is enjoying Him. The altar is allowing His love to flow in. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. That's another good place to be. Lying down is not going to the Bahamas in a hammock and getting grapes fed to you. <laughs> it, is, it is the inside lie down. It is the contentment and the peace and the joy in the inside. He makes me to lie down. And he leads me beside still waters. And the next one? 
He restores my soul. When you take the first four, the fifth automatically happens. We need restoration because the world, the flesh, and the devil are completely bombarding our natural mind, our natural lifestyle, through family, through our environment, through government, through whatever the agency might be, and we're constantly bombarded. Why we need to be in the altar is because, first of all, the Lord is my shepherd. None of these people that are setting the rules. None of these people that are setting the laws. None of these people, because people are starting to get afraid of things that are going on. But if I can get it right, and I read the first four things, then the fifth thing will happen. And, in that, and knowing that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And immediately, when, I, when he does it, he restores my soul. There is God's therapy room. I do that when I work with people. I get them to get into Psalm 23 until it is firmly lodged and the synapses of the brain are firing that information 24-7 and that they're going to be able to know that their soul can be restored. I, you, and me, we need to go into God's therapy room and we need to have the restoration of our mind, will, and emotions. Once we do the first four, then the next one he does, and after that, he leads me in the path of righteousness. It's not about my determination, my jaw down determination, but it's about him leading me, because why? I come out with a restored soul. Amen. Do you see? Amen. So, and then, number two, that's the first thing, and that's the most important. So that's what we're looking at this, this morning. Yeah, great. And, and wonderful. <coughs> I, was preaching, I was preaching for John McMartin one time, and uh, I only had a 35-minute slot, which is hard for me. But, uh, oh, I'll be all right, but I'll try my best. But 35-minute slot. But, <coughs> and then the next thing I looked up, and I'm going, John's there, he's clapping, and, again, and then I looked up, and I couldn't believe it. I finish up with another 10, 15 minutes. And he just goes like this. He, had, he told me after, he says, I got them to turn the clock back. I, I said, brother, could you, could you send that message around the movement? That <laughs> works for me, and if it can come from you, they'll listen more than they do me. So the important, the important thing is, the important thing is, is getting in that altar first. The thing that more, happens more and more for us, it's so easy because life's so fast. Life's so busy. There's so much to do. And it's so easy. We need to build the altar. Don't let the council, the government, the environment, or anything stop you in God's therapy room. We are living in a day that I can hardly understand at my time of day. I've counseled for thousands of hours, seen many people come into incredible freedom in Christ. But do you know, I've never seen a day when there's so many people, and we're talking about believers right now, I mean, it's bad in the world, but believers who are suffering from anxiety and depression. Now, please understand that, that there may be some people in an endogenous condition, I understand that, but I'm talking about about 80-85% of the people who are taking medication have no need to be taking medication. We, we need to understand this, that we can have God's therapy. And the reason why people can't do it is because they listen to the voices outside. And they hear the people outside. And they hear the hopelessness and the helplessness and the falling apart. And, that, and, and everything, is, everything is chaos. And people are doing some of the stupidest things. And you can't believe that some of the most intellectual people are so stupid. And we can get sidetracked so easy. 
I need to get back in and get my soul restored. My mind is supposed to be geared to him, not my environment, not my work. And I tell you that, that's where you get it in God's therapy room when you build your altar. Wherever you are, no matter where you are, build your altar. My intimacy with God. My point of worship with God. Amen? Are we doing all right? I have to make sure, I want to remember when the light is up and I can see you to make sure I get a photo because I I took one before but it looked like I was on my own. (laughs) And and the next thing he says, he says, and he now pitched a tent. We need this order in ministry. We need this order in lives. He first built the altar, then he pitched a tent. That means he looked after his family not necessarily for money, but the necessity to put into them godly principles, to put into them emotional strength, to help them to find the values of life, to help them discover the moral compass, to help them to be able to work. This is first. I need to ensure that somehow I'm going to have something with my family. I need to build a tent. The tent only will take in, that tent will only take in my immediate family. I need to look after my immediate family. I need to look after them emotionally, psychologically, physically, and spiritually. I am responsible to be able to do that. But I can only do that when I've been to the altar. And then the Bible says, and then he dug a well. We start at the well nearly all the time. Provision. I've got to do this. We've got to get on with the work. We have to do this. We get so much on our plate. My goodness, we're so busy. Absolutely. And before you know it, we have started digging the well. And not only that, he was incredibly smart because he first started digging wells and then he delegated the wells to his servants. He got out and he got other people to help him. That's one of the most important things. Now, you, you, you are intelligent people and spiritually attuned and you will develop this yourself because the clock, which has now become my enemy, is, is beating me and, and, uh, and I don't know where we're going anyway. So do you see here? Now, I, uh, how many remembers this here? I'm glad three of you do. Okay. Here and, and then here. Now, that's a new one I've just done, which was only put out and, and, uh, and Felicity and some of the ones that comes up. And uh, I really appreciate you coming and training because one of the most important things is that whole thing as we had that scripture read to us this morning, that necessity to just abide. Now, I'll see whether or not I want to, to go into there and work with that for a moment uh, because I want to go to here. And I'd like you to see here because this is, this is one of the areas to which we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. So let me see how quickly uh, I, I can work with this and whether we can take it into something else. But this is, I want you to see just this pure, life, the, 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 the perfect life cycle that's closed off. Now the moment, the moment that I close that door, which you can see here. Oh, my little laser's not working. But the moment you close that door there, the moment you do, you go here. This is the progression of the closing of the door. And, and one of the things that's important here is the Christian life is as simple as opening and closing the door. Because we are a people of choice. We have choice. We are able to have choice. And so, anyhow, in a kingdom, subjects have choice. Sometimes I wish God had never made it like that and given me my choice. Because I haven't always made the best choices, have you? Wouldn't you have times that you wishes that God hadn't let you do it? 
But he knew that's where you were going when he picked you. Always keep that in mind. Amen? Because you go keep reflecting, you know. If only I hadn't have done that, I'd have been a whole lot better Christian. I'd have been a lot stronger. I'd have been a better witness. I'd have been a better example. If I hadn't have done all that, I'd have been a better... Well, but hold on a moment, hold on a moment. Did you forget that he picked you knowing you'd do that? He knew that's the journey you're going to take. He knew that would be the path you'd take. He knew that, and he urged... He, he nudged the Holy Spirit lots of times to probably tell you, and you said, yes, I can handle it, amen. And you just went ahead and did it anyway. And he said, okay, but you'll be back because you need me more than you need anything else in the world. God is not insecure. He's not threatened by anything. And if I take a wander to the world, is he threatened? Of course not. Of course not. But I'm his child. And he says, I don't want you to get hurt. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Because we made choices. But now I make a choice. Now in this choice, and what's very, very important in the choice, the enemy cannot stop you going to heaven. But there's a lot of Christians going to heaven, but it's a hell of a trip. And now what we have is the enemy, he can't because you're secure in Christ, and therefore the enemy can't stop you going to heaven. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, and there's no good you trying to take it out because he wrote it. And that's what amazes me. He writes my name, and I think I can take it out. That's quite interesting. Well, if you get a divine razor, maybe. You can move away and close the door to his life. And that's all the enemy wants to do. He does not want you to live in a happy life, in an abundant life, in a joyful life. He wants to do that. Close the door. Now, we close the door through pride and unbelief. I don't know if Jesus can meet me. I don't know if Jesus could give me a partner. I don't know if there's a partner in the church. No, I don't know if I could find somebody for me. I don't know if he'd get me that job. I'm not that sure that Jesus can do that. I'm not that sure that he's there. I start wondering whether Christ could actually meet my, all my needs. And I start wondering about that. And you know what? As soon as I move into unbelief, I just close the door. Because I don't know and understand the all-sufficient Christ. And I, or I rise up and think, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Hmm. Boy, I've been on the journey for a while now. I'll tell them what to do. I'll let them know how it works. And before I know it, I rise up in pride. But let me tell you this. You're never, you're never ever in sin unless you're in unbelief. And you're never in unbelief unless you're in pride. Do you see the bigger thing is I rise up inside, then I go into my own unbelief because I think I can do it better and he can't, and then I finish up in a mess. And what it is, hum- I can open the door by humility and faith. Humility is not saying I am nothing. Humility is saying I have nothing. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Amen. I open the door. Now the devil wants to keep that door. uh, The devil wants to keep that door there closed if he can. When I cease to remain. Here's what happens. The longer the door is closed, the more we are Subject to the enemy's accusations, guilt, condemnation, remorse, regret, and fear. And you know what people do? They walk out on Sunday morning to the front. Pray for me, pastor. I'm struggling with this. Pray for me, pastor. I'm struggling with that. Is the door open? I'm not the door opener. No. People don't understand that. Hey, 
But we scared me, like I said in the beginning, of bringing somebody, you know, being real about it and bringing God into it and inviting Jesus in and saying, here's my mess up, here's my situation, here's where I'm at, here's what I'm struggling with, and then look at it and open the door. But unbelief believes that in my struggle, he won't come to me. I was in Austria and this young man came, he's about in his 20s, a lovely young man, and he came to me and he was really having a heart. And he said to me, you know, he said, I really love, I just really love for... uh, to meet a, a young woman and get married. He said, but I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it to her. He said, because I'm really addicted to pornography. And he said, I, uh, he said, I just wouldn't, I just couldn't do that to, to her. He said, and I'm really going. I said, well, what have you done about it? He said, I've prayed, I've cried, I've fasted. I've done all kinds of spiritual gymnastics. And I said, and you're still addicted? He said, yep. I said, well, then, that's good because we've eliminated a lot of the doo-doos. Because you prayed in unbelief, you fasted in unbelief, you sweated in unbelief, you were misery in unbelief, no wonder you're in unbelief, no wonder you're miserable. I said, I'll tell you what, here's one thing I'd like to do, i bring another little viewpoint to you. He said, what? I said, have you ever, in all of those things, have you ever invited Jesus to come and watch porno with you? <laughs> it's like I'd shot him. He said, that's terrible. How can you even say that? I said, so what kind of a game do you and him play? So let's figure it out. Where do you watch your porno? In the basement? Generally. Okay. So when you go to watch porno, you ask Jesus to stay in the lounge room. And you go to the basement, you finish, you go through the rigmarole of all that pertains to you and the misery of it, and then you come back and then you get down and cry and weep and everything else to Jesus. Is that what happens? I said, do you know one of the greatest points of news for you right now is I know that you're born again. He said, really? I said, of course. I said, because if you weren't born again, you wouldn't have cried, prayed, fasted, or otherwise, and you wouldn't have cared. I said, so now I know you're born again. I said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite Jesus to your porno watching. Now, this is not prescribed therapy, but... (laughs) I said, let's invite Jesus. I said, why do you think that he... Why do you think you feel bad? Why do you think you feel guilty? Why do you think you feel like that? I said, because he's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't really into porno. And therefore, it makes you uncomfortable. Didn't you see that? I've never known anybody to make me more uncomfortable than the comforter. I said, you see, sir, here's the thing. You are uncomfortable because he's uncomfortable, except the way he views it is very different to yours because he doesn't view it through the lust of the flesh. He views it as something that's destructive to you, his creation. Something that's not good for you, something that's not pure, something that's not holy. Let me tell you something. We're going to do this now, and we're going to... No, we're not going to go and watch porno together, no. <clears throat> Listen, I could joke about other people who watch porno. I've dealt with many Christians watching porno, many. 
And I could judge them easy because it's not for me. I'm, I'm too much relational to be into porno. It doesn't work for me. I don't know how it works for people, but it works. And we could judge somebody from my shoes, so that's not any idea. The idea is this. We're going to invite him in. No matter what it is, I'm going to invite him in. Okay. Lord Jesus, here we are. When you get in porno, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you in. And the moment you admit where you are, you can leave where you are. Your praying is your problem. Your fasting is your problem. You're closing the door to the life that can only be the only life that can give you freedom. The only life that can bring you to deliverance. The only life that can set you free. And I'm going to work with you on this. Do you know what? It became a whole new world for him. Because listen, I want to declare to you this morning that there's not a single problem that the presence of Jesus can't cure. You see, people are bound and they wrestle with it. You know all the stupid stuff that they give you. One, one pastor I worked with in Spokane out in Washington in the U.S. And he writes me and one of his elders or one of these people in the ministry there with him. And he says, uh, he, he says I need to ask you, he said, Ray, I, I really need to ask you to help me. He said, with one of the elders, he said, he's in porno. And he said, uh, I've written a list down for you here under this text. And he said, and when you read the list, I want you to add to it what we're missing. What are we not getting right? What is it we're not telling this guy? Because he's still the same. So I looked at it and I laughed. And then I wrote back and I said, well, number one, remove the list. All that is stupid. Just totally stupid. Not one of those things works. That's why you're writing me, because none of it works. And how would you keep going with something that doesn't work? That's stupid. Not only that, what are we back to doing? Do on do. Rule on rule. And now, kill it. I'm going to give you another way altogether. And look at it another way altogether. And I can do this not only from the authority of the word, not only from the power of the cross, but I can give you this from thousands and thousands of hours of working with people. And I know what works, and that stuff doesn't work. Amen. <laughs> and when you get to my age, I don't have the energy for what doesn't work. We only want to stay with what works. Amen. Yeah. At the foot of the cross. You know what? I just need to abide. He's allowing porno to stop him remaining. Because why? He can't believe that Jesus could love him in his porno. But Jesus hasn't changed his love for you, sir. It's like a whole new light globe moment. A whole type of change for you. Because right now, Jesus has not changed his love for you. You think he has, and it's defeating you, and it's causing you an unbelief. Because he loves you exactly how you are, the way you are. He knows your humanness. He's comfortable with my humanity. And he's with you. Amen. And I can go on to tell you stories like that, where you just walk in to deliverance. Into freedom. You know why? Because it's not my life or my wonderful counseling. It's helping them to see the way forward. That there is a way in Christ to open the door and to let his life flow through me. But you see what the devil wants to do? He wants to make your life miserable. So he wants to take you now into guilt. Guilt, fear, releases 1,400 physical and emotional chemical electrical impulses that damage the brain, our emotional and mental health. It's followed immediately by guilt. Guilt is a huge destroyer and stops my intimacy with him. The moment I feel guilty, I do exactly what Adam did. The moment I feel guilty, I do what Adam did. What do I do? <laughs> There's no more clock stopping with you now, is there? 
flipping can't die now. And <coughs> what is, we haven't even got, I've got nowhere near the... What did Adam do? The worst thing he could do, what we do like Christians, he hid himself. Yeah. Though you could hide from God. And Adam says, but I hid myself because I was naked. And God says to him, so where did you get your information from? Because I never told you. And God never would tell you. And God would never have told him. Do you see that's the problem? We think it's God and it's the voice of the enemy. It's the voice of the butcher who's trying to ravish our minds. And if he can keep you in guilt, guilt's the second highest destroyer to mental and emotional health. Guilt is one of the greatest problems for anxiety. People are living with such guilt and they have no way of getting rid of their guilt. Condemnation, remorse, regret and fear, those things that are destructive. And this morning, because of where we're at, of abiding in him, finding him, all I need to do is just, you know, it's a moment by moment. You can't be in the flesh and the spirit at the same time. But you could be in the flesh this moment and the spirit the next moment. It's not about a big, long prayer line. It's not about a big, long seven steps to repentance. Ten cheese to deliver it. Ten chains to deliverance. It's just moment by moment. Yes to Jesus. I'm undone. You have to admit where you are before you can leave where you are. If I don't own it, I won't disown it. That's Esau did not find a place of repentance. Why? Because Esau just blamed everybody else. He wouldn't have truth. And it's only the truth that makes you free. And therefore, I need to have truth. I got it wrong. You're right. John says, if I confess my sin, I get two for the price of one. I'm Irish and I like a bargain. You get two for the price of one. He says, if you confess, that is having truth. Father, you're right, I'm wrong. And he said, the moment of that confession, the moment of that confession, he says, you are forgiven and you're cleansed. Two for the price of one. All I have to do is say I'm wrong. Bow my knee. Humility, not saying I am nothing, but saying I have nothing. Father, I need you. I got it wrong. I blew it. And then I can come back into his presence. Just like that. Not that I'm out of his presence, but the consciousness of the presence where my guilt and my fear have all gone. Because why? The Bible says there's no other account and there's no other memory of it. Amen? we just innocent in the sight of God. We have an incredible God. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. You can send it up, darling, because I'll finish. <laughs> I just want you to keep loving me. Have you got your script going now? <laughs> hey, I need to shut up. I'm two minutes over, and therefore it's execution time. So what I need to do is talk to you again in half an hour. And is it half an hour? How long do we have for half an hour? That's time for a coffee, and then we come back. Oh, 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 just one moment. Where are you going? I wanted you in the forest. I know that your wife's the best looking in the family, but still... Uh, look at this way and look like you're really happy with Ray but you're really in love with Jesus oh you're beautiful I won't be able to do this when I get older thank you so much we're ready uh, Pastor Ben is there anything I may thank you so much